Welcome to r slash malicious compliance where your wish is my command. I recently dined at a pizza chain in the UK that brags about being express service. After waiting 45 minutes to be served drinks in a fairly empty store, we asked for a small portion of garlic dough balls as we had kids with us who were starving. 20 minutes later, we get the dough balls and it's another 15 to 20 minutes before we leave because after a total of one hour and a half, we had no service and they charged us for the largest platter of dough balls they had. My partner filed a complaint to office, so they sent us two vouchers for free pizza. Now, I work in the city center, so I thought I'd pick one up for lunch and eat it at my desk. I returned to the store and the same rude waiter, whom I'm assuming remembered me as his face turned to a scowl when he saw me, greeted me. I asked for my pizza. He looked at the voucher and said, I can't take it away. It's only to dine in. I argued, asked him to show me where it said anything like that on the voucher, pointing out the part where it said suitable for collection, and he was having none of it. I asked for a manager. He said he was acting manager. So I relented and said I'd take a seat and ordered my pizza. Five minutes later, it comes out. I take a bite and said I'm full. I'd like to take my leftovers. The guy was fuming, but had to do so. I did the exact same thing the next day as well. Not very exciting, but it felt good. <laughs> Edit. To all the spit posts, the ovens are in the front, so you watch them make your pizza. And you bet I was watching. I'm glad you clarified that because I was literally just about to make that joke. Our next Reddit post is from Virus Overload. Let's set the scene. So this was a few years back. I have quite a few tattoos. Basically, all my chest, my upper back, top half sleeves, and one on the inside of each forearm, about 15 centimeters across. These last two are what started it all. I worked for a cinema chain for a long time. Always had tattoos. I landed myself a management role, more like a supervisor. The standard uniform was a black shirt and black trousers. I prefer a short sleeve shirt due to being a bigger guy and cinemas being bloody hot. My site manager quite liked my tattoos and other quirks that I had. My area manager, however, did not. She would come into the site, walk past eight other staff with full sleeve tattoos and make a beeline straight to me, stating that my tattoos need covering up and I quote, they're not offensive, just a lot of people don't like them. Now, my tattoos aren't offensive, they're just patterns. She informed me that I had to wear long sleeves to cover them up, otherwise I would face disciplinary action. I had read the employee handbook a few times because of other petty stuff, so I know it was the manager's decision, my site manager, but she decided to overrule it. What she forgot was that just because the normal retail staff had to wear black, management was allowed to wear white. Just nobody did because it was hard to keep clean. So what should I do? I know. Let's go and buy the thinnest, cheapest, most see-through white long sleeve shirt I can find. Now, if you could only see her face when she came in next, when I'm basically wearing a shirt more see-through than tracing paper. <laughs> I'm talking, you can see the color shift from my individual chest hairs. And all my tattoos were on show for everyone to see while I stood behind the tills talking to customers. Needless to say, I got to wear my short sleeve black shirt again after that.
Our next Reddit post is from Salty Solicitor. Before I was a lawyer, I had an internship and was supervised under a man named Bob, who resented my continued existence in his department and saw me as dead weight. This is largely true of legal interns who tend to create work rather than solve problems. However, Bob would give me half in an assignment, refuse to clarify his instructions, and then sigh in exasperation when I wasn't able to literally read his mind or solve the issue. If I suggested another or different way to do things, he would dig in his heels just for the sake of doing so. Even on things where taking a hard stance made no sense. One day, I was assigned to send a large volume of files to the company's outside lawyers. After gathering documents from various company representatives, I realized that they were too voluminous to email. When I told Bob that I needed to put them on a flash drive, he snapped that they must be submitted via email today. I knew that our company would accept emails up to 30 megabytes from internal sources, but the server would reject anything external over 15 megabytes. And I suspected the law firm servers were set up the same way. Bob wouldn't hear it. What are you talking about? I send huge files all the time. Just do it. Sure thing, Bob. I confirmed the email size limit with a law firm, then lovingly, painstakingly parsed out the files for individual emails. I waited until Bob was in a meeting and started shotgunning privilege slash confidential email one of 47 messages to the firm and copying Bob. <laughs> they emailed me in a panic, begging me to stop and telling me that a flash drive would be great. I told them that, per Bob, the messages must be emailed. Bob eventually sent a very terse reply, instructing the firm to send a courier over so that the flash drive could be picked up. Our next Reddit post is from 01A. I used to work as an administrator in a secondary school in the US, grades 9 to 12, around 10 years ago. We were in a school that didn't have a specific zone or neighborhood, so to speak. Some of our students lived 30 to 45 minutes from the school, which made it necessary for us to sometimes conduct business with parents or guardians over the phone as opposed to in person. One day, I met with a senior, grade 12, who was in a class that he and his father had deemed too hard for him. And since they didn't want it impacting his ability to attend college, asked for him to be changed out of the class. It was early in the semester and there was plenty of space available in other courses, so I had no problem doing it after a conversation over the phone with his father. The student was a good guy and he was totally grateful to me for helping him out. He would now get to enjoy his last year a little more with one less difficult class to worry about. The next day, I get a phone call in my office from the kid's mom, who is irate. She spends approximately five minutes berating me about changing his schedule. I indicated to her that dad was on the contact list for her son, and he was allowed to make these decisions if he chose to do so. She is the person who put dad on there several years before. Evidently, mom had put dad on the list before their divorce. She had raised the child over the last several years by herself, according to her, and she should make all the decisions. I didn't know this, and the records didn't reflect it. Since she knew this argument wasn't going to work, the next objection was against our policy of making decisions over the phone. The conversation went something like this. How do you know for sure it was his dad on the phone? There's no way you can be sure. 
I can't believe you would ever make a decision like this without a parent presence. By doing this over the phone, you could be speaking to anyone. She continued on, and I tried to explain that it's necessary at times to use the phone. Since parents work in another town and may have to travel an hour or more to get to the school. Well, she wasn't buying it. So finally, I relented. Ma'am, you're right. I will no longer make decisions like this over the phone. I'm going to insist parents come in and meet with me in person. Good. Now I need my son to be put back into the class he was in originally. Ma'am, I'm sorry. You're going to have to come in and meet with me. I'm no longer changing schedules over the phone. How do I know you're this student's mother? I can't do that. I live 45 minutes from the school and I work every day. It was at this point she dropped all of her objections. Cue up surprise Pikachu face. Our next Reddit post is from Basket Case. I received an unsolicited call earlier this morning from a gentleman named Dan. Dan worked for Microsoft Security and was calling to let me know that my computer had been downloading malicious software. And because I was such a loyal customer, he would be walking me through the steps to remove the software and fix my computer. In case you didn't guess, Dan did not work for Microsoft. My computer was not infected and he was not going to help me. Our conversation began. Are you near your computer right now? Yes, why? I'd like to help you check it for issues. Okay, give me a minute. At this point, I spent a couple minutes finding my laptop and getting it booted up. Really, it only took about 20 seconds, but Dan didn't need to know this. Once I was at my laptop, Dan continued. What do you see on your screen right now? Well, I see my desktop. At this point, Dan tried to continue with his script, but I had not told Dan everything that was on my screen, so I continued. There's a clock in the bottom left corner. The time says 10.30 a.m. The date is December 3rd, 2017. There's a Wi-Fi signal with full bars. There's a volume meter, but I have it muted right now. There's a battery indicator showing my laptop is 27% charged. Dan tried in vain to interrupt me, but there was still more things to tell him. There's an icon called My Computer, an icon called Recycle Bin, an icon called Google Chrome. You can see where this is going. I proceeded to read off to Dan each and every icon, shortcut, folder, and file that was currently displayed on my screen. Dan never got a chance to get a word in edgewise. Finally, after about four or five minutes of meticulously letting Dan know exactly what was on my screen, he asked me a question. Can you right click on my computer? Sure, no problem. Do you know where that would be located? It should be on your desktop. I know, but I can't find it. Do you remember what it was next to when I described everything to you? It should be next to Recycle Bin. No, Google Chrome is next to the Recycle Bin. After a few more minutes, Dan successfully navigated me into the start menu to open up a run box. Okay, there should be a field in the run box. Is it empty? No, it has something written already. What does it say? The first one says MS Info 32. The second one says CMD. The third one says RegEdit. After going through all the 11 to 12 items in my Rumbox history, Dan let me know that he would need to call me back in a few minutes. Despite my pleas for help, Dan hung up. Apparently, I wasn't supposed to follow his directions so well. And then we have a similar post from Holden Akari down in the comments. My pops did something like this a while back. 
He's strung the guy along and played the role of a typical guy who doesn't understand computers. It went on for over an hour. When my dad finally dropped something like, Oh, you want me in front of a computer? I thought you meant the TV. The guy hung up after that. Our next Reddit post is from Desrep. At my old workplace, we had a truck driver. We'll call him Jim for no particular reason. Our director had decided to cut down on the amount of manpower in the production unit to try and squeeze some more money out of it. One of the people laid off was a storage worker, and the director then wanted Jim to take over on storage and make the big truck more of a whoever needs it uses it kind of thing, as opposed to having one man who mans it for the majority of the time. Though driving the truck only took about half of Jim's day and the rest of the time he did all kinds of other things around the company that needed doing. Maintenance, cleaning the yard, cutting the grass, etc. Now, my boss had made a fair fuss about this during the meetings where this was decided since Jim, being on that truck was a very good thing for the company. But alas, director didn't want to listen. They then had a meeting where Jim and the three people who were the likely candidates for using the truck were informed of this change. The storage worker had been fired the same day. Now, nobody was really happy about this. One of the practical problems is when you have multiple people using a tool, whether it be a hammer, a power drill, or a truck, it becomes a mess to coordinate. Who needs it when, who handles what in regards to maintenance, and so on and so on. But none were more unhappy than Jim, and he quite openly said that storage worker wasn't his job to which the director made one of many a big mistakes in this whole streamlining process he was doing to the production unit. He pulled out the contract that had a highlighted work in their production part. So what kind of malicious compliance does a pissed off former truck driver get up to? Well, glad you asked. Very simply, he stopped doing anything that wasn't related to production. Examples of minor things Jim stopped doing. Buying basic groceries for the production office, milk, sugar, etc. He stopped bringing breakfast to the production workers. Jim drove to a local sandwich maker and picked up breakfast and lunch for most of the production, meaning that now everybody went there on their own, creating massive amounts of delay in every department, maintaining order in the yard so everything stored out there was easy to find and traffic could go through easily. But the very best thing he stopped was clearing away snow. You see, one of the many things Jim did was if there was a forecast for snow, he'd set an alarm for 4am only to look out the window. And if he needed to clear snow, he'd just go to work and make sure the snow was cleared and the road salted for when everyone else arrived and that he also stopped. And this particular year, winter hit us pretty suddenly. So there was quite a bit of snow and ice all over the place including the main office building's parking lot. Now Jim, being the absolute champ that he was, had made sure that the production unit had been cleared, but left the main office building on the other side of the road to fend for itself. And since we in the production line get in earlier than the office people did, we could stand there and watch as they started arriving. And half their parking spots had so much snow in them that they were unusable. And how their cars just skipped around on the ice under the snow. It was glorious. Three cars were lightly damaged and one took a pretty hefty hit as he clipped the corner of the concrete building. 
And no less than nine people fell on the ice, including the director himself, which resulted in about 45 production workers standing inside our machine hall, almost pissing themselves laughing. Edit, I forgot to mention a little fun thing. Later that day, an email was sent out across the whole company asking if anyone knew why the external contractor we had hired to clear the snow had stopped. Apparently, the office nuts had no clue that it was Jim who cleared the snow for them every morning during the winter. And then OP further clarifies that Jim ended up quitting the job. And management streamlined things so much that now the company is on the verge of shutting down. A good example is them writing an angry email demanding that production was to handle all snow removal henceforth, which none of them did because it wasn't in anyone's contract. Whoops. Welcome to r slash malicious compliance, where OP brings his teacher a severed human toe. I worked at Netflix for a few months from August last year to February this year. It was customer service, so it was basically elderly people calling for various stupid reasons. One thing that happened constantly was people opening accounts by accident and not closing them. Most often, it was an old person who forgot their password, so instead of recovering it, they would just make a new account each time it happened. The policy when I worked there was if they had watched even a minute of Netflix on an account, we could only refund the last three months charge no matter the age of the account. If they hadn't watched Netflix, we could credit up to six months. If they had a single minute of Netflix use in the past month, we were only allowed to credit one month. And no refund at all if they tried to cancel within a week of their billing date. We were also told not to refund anything if we weren't explicitly asked for a refund. My last week at that job, I didn't care about their rules much. If someone forgot they paid for Netflix and seemed genuine or like it was a true mistake, I'd just refund as much as the system would allow me to credit, even if it was technically going against our rules, the full six months. So one day in that last week, I have some old man calling. He inadvertently made a new account for each device he had for Netflix. So he had like five to six accounts, each with near daily use. He was generally pleasant, so I decided I'd offer him as much as the system would allow instead of the one month that we were supposed to do a fast. So I tell him that I can credit back the last six months of each of the accounts he wishes to cancel. This causes him to become livid. I've had these effing accounts for over a year, and you're going to god dang refund me the full amount I'm owed. And stuff like that being spewed at me for the next minute or so. Eventually, he demands to talk to my manager because he thinks that they will be able to refund him the full amounts. The fun part now is the supervisor followed every rule to the word. So I had the pleasure of getting my supervisor on the line, who ended up telling him that they could only refund a max of one month per account. So he lost out on five months per account of possible refund money. All because he decided to act like a dick and throw a tantrum. So OP did the math on this and that comes out to close to 250 bucks this moron missed out on just because he decided to be a prick. Our next Reddit post is from Deleted. My gramps had just moved into a retirement park with a lot that backed up to a country land that was a nature preserve. His backyard was basically non-existent. 
but he didn't mind as he got to look out over the preserve. However, he did marvel at how his next door neighbor's backyard extended a good eight feet past his, giving his neighbor a nice space back there. Gramps tried to be friendly with all his new neighbors, exchanging phone numbers and the like. And one day, he noticed the next door neighbor was putting down expensive pavers that extended from his back door all the way to the old fence post that designated the preserve boundary. Gramps watched the neighbor yank the three rickety fence posts out of the ground and move them back an extra two feet into the preserve before pounding them back in, then started to clear the land, intending to gain himself more area for his pavers. Gramps used to work for the National Park Services as a young lad, so he thought he had better warn his neighbor of the consequences of his actions, so he heads out back for a little chat. Neighbor is immediately defensive, and before Gramps says much, Neighbor tells him, you're new here, I've been here 10 years, and to mind your own dang business. Gramps decides not to press the issue. Nothing happens that year. But the following year, when most of the park emptied out to head north for the summer, the county comes by to check on the preserve. Gramps notices them going back and forth behind his neighbor's house. The workers are pulling out maps and taking photos and making phone calls, and soon more guys show up. Turns out, neighbor had moved the post several times over the years, and in reality, his backyard is supposed to be even smaller than Gramps' backyard. To make matters worse, the neighbor put pavers in the back specifically to park both his golf cart and a cherry red sports car back there for the summer. So the county will have to move them before they can do anything else. They tape a notice to the front door and leave. Gramps goes over to read it, and it states that the neighbor was in violation of encroaching onto protected lands. He has 30 days to move his car, tear up the pavers, and pay a fine of $11,000 because of damage to endangered species who inhabit the protected lands, as well as trespassing fees. Failure to do so within 30 days will result in golf car and car being towed and impounded. Pavers will be dug up and carted off at neighbor's expense, and the fine will be increased for every additional day past the deadline. 30 days comes and goes, so a week after that, Gramps has quite the show as first the car and cart were towed. Pavers were dug up and hauled off, and the old fence posts and ropes were replaced with metal posts embedded into buried cement bases, connected by steel cables. Whole process took several weeks to finish, but the preserve looked a lot more legit when they were done. A few solar cameras were installed so the county could monitor the wildlife and encroachers remotely. Meanwhile, more notices were taped to the front door of Neighbor's house. By November, the snowbirds were flooding back into the park, including Neighbor. This was Gramps' second show of the summer, as Neighbor reads all the notices, digging down until he reads the first one, then runs out back and starts screaming and cussing up a storm before running back to his car to dig out his cell phone so he can call the county to find out where his car and golf cart were. Gramps stays indoor to avoid the guy as he is frantically trying to unload his car, turn on his water and electricity, get the AC and toilets going, and all the while trying to get someone at county to pick up the phone and give him some answers. He finally gets a live person and proceeds to scream at them while on speakerphone about his car and carts. So the call keeps getting kicked to other people because who wants to help a screamer? Basically, the neighbor is told to come to the county office to get this straightened out. 
Three days later, the neighbor catches Gramps outside and asks if he was here when the county stole his car and destroyed his backyard. Gramps said he was, and neighbor says, Well, why didn't you call me when you saw them putting notices on my door? You had my number up north. Gramps said he had thought about doing that, but figured the neighbor would prefer him to mind his own dang business, so he decided against it. I can only imagine how satisfying it must have been to say those exact words to that douchebag neighbor. The other thing I'd like to point out is, sure, Gramps minded his own business, but so did everyone else on that street. Theoretically, this guy had a neighbor on the other side as well. And that guy didn't do anything either. <laughs> so the entire street had to ignore this happening. Oh well, too bad, so sad. Our next Reddit post is from Nilak Otter. So I've spoken about my dogs on here before. I train search and rescue slash human remain detection dogs, which basically means we wander around disaster sites, crime scenes, and wilderness area searches looking for bodies or other remains, to put it very simply. This story is from a couple of years back. When I was in college, I was required to take a public speaking course. I have stage fright and social anxiety. So this was basically torture. My instructor was pretty jaded and didn't much care that I was having a panic attack on stage. She suggested I talk about something I'm more comfortable with and to toughen up. The final was supposed to be a demonstrative and informative presentation and 30 minutes long. Fine. My dogs have clearance by campus police to train on the university grounds. And I have clearance from city and county police to bring biological waste materials with me throughout the county. I prepare a fancy PowerPoint presentation and bring in my big, crazy cadaver dog and scent samples, including a human toe, blood, and bones. I spend half an hour showing how to train a dog to detect human corpses along with a few vivid anecdotes about some of my past searches. We even let some members of the audience come handle my dog and give clicker training a try. Audience involvement in the demonstration was required. I got an A, but the mildly horrified look on my professor's face was far more rewarding. <laughs> OP, what you should have done was taken the human toe and hidden it in one of the people's backpacks or desks as soon as you got into the classroom. And by one of the students, what I really mean is the professor. And then be like, now for a live demonstration. I've hidden a toe in one of your backpacks, and now my dog is going to find it. Our next Reddit post is from Inconvenient Silence. Okay, I've worked in a lot of different industries, but this happened while I worked in a casino chain in the UK. At 19, I was a bartender and shifts would usually be 12 hours at a time. While I worked there, the dress code was smart black. So smart trousers and black shirts, which men and women had to wear because it was comfortable. To get more tips, even though I was classified as a bartender, the company forced the women to work on the casino floor, making us walk in circles around the gambling tables, and made the men stay behind the bar. The women weren't allowed to stand still, so even on a quiet day, we still had to walk in circles. This was made easier with our uniforms being comfortable. Although it was frustrating to walk around for hours on end, the pay was good, so we complied. Then the company held a meeting and told us how they decided to change the uniforms. Unsurprisingly, the guys' uniforms didn't change at all. 
But the women were told to wear tight gray dresses you could barely move in and high heels by the next shift. It was clearly to look more appealing and get more tips. Of course, my female coworkers and I were pissed off about this and told the managers that we will not only have restricted movement, but will also be in pain by the end of the night if we have to walk around for hours in high heels on the hard floor. Management didn't care and told us to suck it up. After this, we all gathered in the changing rooms and talked about how there is no way we're wearing this new uniform and shouldn't wear it to protest. That's when I had an idea. I suggested that my coworkers do what they have planned and I'll wear the new uniform because we needed to prove our points. After a long discussion and hesitation, they agreed and let me do it. The next shift, I walked in the building in the new uniform. My god, it was uncomfortable. The dress made it difficult to turn my body around and bending over was nearly impossible. It was so tight that when I did kneel down, I was scared it would rip. Management was really happy to see that I complied, even saying to my coworkers how they should learn from me. I had to keep it cool while they said that, as I was already starting to get sore from the heels. It was a busy night, and I was running around like a headless chicken. The dress made it difficult to keep up the pace, as I struggled to breathe properly. I think the dress was not designed for this kind of movement. And the pain from my shoes increased to the point that, at times, I had to attempt to crouch for a second in the back to give my feet a rest. My coworkers started begging me to stop and just get flat shoes on for my own sake. But I declined, stating how I needed to prove our points, so I pushed on through the pain till the end of my shift. Management came in when we all finished to see how everyone was and asking me how I found the shift. I smiled and said it was great with one small problem. I removed my shoes for the first time in 12 hours and stood in front of my managers mildly shaking. Their faces went from all smiles to shock when they looked at my feet to see my blood running on the floor from my open wounds on my heels. The injuries covered the entirety of my heels with dried blood on the back of my shoes. They started telling me I shouldn't have done that and should have worn flat shoes, but I reminded them saying, but it's part of the new dress code. I had to wear high heels, like you told me. As the injuries were exposed, I started to feel the pain intensify and had to hold back tears, but my shaking got worse. They made me sit down and got the first aid kit for my feet as I started to unzip the back of my dress, saying how hard it is to breathe. The dresses were still compulsory, but the dresses were made looser and we never had to wear high heels on shift again. <laughs> OP, I gotta say, that was super metal. Our next Reddit post is from Bryson64. I was working IT for Safeway Corporate. Throughout the day, employees can submit for tech support by either calling the number or sending an email. As we were mostly a call center, the emails, called web tickets, would back up as everyone was busy on the phone. They would nominate a few agents to jump off the phones and call out on these emails we got. The average person would do 20 to 40 by the end of their shift. I got assigned to a special group assisting with other tech specialists with telephone engineering issues. Phones don't work. We needed someone to work the night shift to help the night guys. I gladly volunteered. We got maybe three calls a night, and that was for general tech support. I helped with maybe one thing a week. My manager asked why I wasn't very busy at night. I told him all stores are closed except those in Hawaii, and we just don't have the same volume of calls. 
He tells me he wants to see me work web tickets at night. I work a few web tickets from 10 to 11 when I show up and a few more from 5 to 6 but don't have much success as night and morning stock crews want to put product on the shelves. Not reboot a printer that is probably already working just fine. My manager calls me in and is saying that everyone works significantly more web tickets than I do and he wants to see my numbers go up. I explain to him that the majority of the tickets are for stores that are closed or for a corporate office in California where executives are sleeping. He says he doesn't want excuses. So that night I call all 200 tickets. It isn't difficult and doesn't take long because no one answers and I leave the typical voicemail explaining why I called and please give us a call back. The next morning, my manager calls me in furious. Apparently, high-level corporate execs called my manager personally, wanting to know why they were getting woken up in the middle of the night by tech support. My manager asks, did you call these people just to prove a point? I could have said many things. Just following orders, sir. Just doing my job. What did you expect? Do you know how dumb you look? Instead, I simply replied, yup. <laughs> His reply, well played. He no longer expected me to do web tickets at night. <laughs> the funny thing is that executives probably have no clue who this is. So the executives who got woken up called their underling and yelled at them. And then those people probably called their underlings and yelled at them on and on and on until I got back to OP. That was r slash malicious compliance. And if you like this video, hit that like button because it really helps my channel.